Hello? Mark, is that you? What's going on, Mike? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. We got a, what are we? Is today, is today Saturday? Today's Saturday. Today? It's the weekend of uh, Memorial Day. Uh, and the new moon is coming up on the 30th. The new moon is approaching. So, okay. So where do you want to start? Let's start with that. I mean, you've been out the in the star. in the countryside. You've been under the stars probably most nights. I hope, I'd imagine. So, let's let's hear it, Mike. What's the what's the take on the stars? All right. So, well, we'll start more with like experiential. So, um, I really the, where I was in Baltimore had uh, the mo the best view I've ever had of the sky the way the house was situated and the decking and all even that, with that the perfect. even with like the light pollution of a major city i mean there's there's that but but uh what i mean is my orientation to the right, sky right right like i mean it's 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 there's going to be that light the light pollution the regardless i mean it's not like horrible but anyway so where i am in 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 uh known countryside uh, where spectacular but in a different way and it's really made me appreciate um both what baltimore was and then it can i also appreciate what, what this place is but one of the things which it doesn't provide are these great views of the sky because i'm in the trees mm. whereas before i was above the trees so also kind of hilly over there too huh Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, there, there's actually some real interesting similarities because the house in Baltimore uh, is on a ridge line, which then goes down to a creek. And this is kind of the same sort of situation. Like when I walk up the, the street called Bridal Path, which it's it's an it's a unpaved road. It's more or less a shortcut just used by Amish. So there's always like these Amish buggies going. going in front of the house, but it's on a ridge line and it goes down to like what I was referring to as the canyon. And it's completely in its in a in a natural setting versus what was in Baltimore where you could see like a full blown out um, uh, subdivision and city all around the park. And the park is still kind of uh, convoluted in a way, right? Because it's not exactly uh, left in its in its untouched state, but this is very similar to it. So I can appreciate like a house on a ridge line and, and what those views were. Um, but what, what has been really nice is going down to the Canyon at nighttime because it's so dark and sitting in front of the Creek. And it is, uh, that's probably been my favorite nighttime activity, but I don't see any sky when I do that. I also see the birds in Baltimore. The the it was such a treat to be above the birds. Like it was a, a most of the birds, hawks, uh, the vultures were were way overhead, but um, eagles, smaller birds, they would be flying underneath our positioning, and you get to look down at the birds, which was really cool. And so. I not having that anymore really makes me appreciate how nice that is. But mm. this is, this is a completely different type of paradise. And, uh, that's where I find myself. But 
and I have been able to see the moon, which is really interesting. Normally, I have a very good view of the moon, and I, I mean, granted, we're going towards the new moon, so it's harder to see, but still. So you're, are you feeling like you, you need to get your bearings a little bit, not being able to see the moon as often? Uh, well, yeah. Like, I always try to get my bearings. You, you know, you work with what you got. And so uh, the bearings are often just like east, west, north, and south. Um, you need that to know where to find the ecliptic. You want to be south-facing to, to see the ecliptic, um, which is where, you know, everything – all of the, the heavenly bodies move across the ecliptic. Um, so I kind of, I've got my bearings in terms of cardinal points, but, but yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really capturing the, uh, the night, but I bet you there's some places I could probably go. Um, I just haven't explored there yet. You know what so you what made me you think of real quick? What did I make you think of? Well, I don't know. I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal and say, oh, I got, you know, magnetic senses or something. But I think I'm a pretty good judge of North, right? And and I'm wondering if that has anything to do with the fact that, A, I've pretty much lived in the same area my whole life, meaning the sun and the moon have pretty much risen in the, you know, in a set sort of spot so to speak obviously there's fluctuation but we can agree that there's a certain rhythm there and then b i unlike you know maybe uh i don't know what the percentage of people in america that have flown but i'm sure it's not a great percentage in the world i'm probably it's probably more common that people are like me i've never flown i've, I've flown when i was a kid but as an adult I've never flown, so... You've never been... You have not been... When's the last time you were on an airplane? Six years old. Six years old. And yeah. so you're, you're 28, 27? Yeah, so for the majority of my wow. formative years, I've been feet on the ground or in a car, you know? And I right, right. really don't ever go out on boats much either, so I wonder if that... Because I can imagine... I imagine being in a plane is a little like... Uh, you know, it could feel like a little, um, what's disorienting when you get out of the plane and you're in a whole new place, you know, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with like, you know, I'll just point North and be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure North's that way, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I think that there's a, uh, an affinity or an acuity that can be developed, but it's inherent in most people. It's like, you know, you hear like a good sense of direction. Like you, right. you know where you are relative to other stuff. So uh, I think that is that's part of being human. We've definitely uh, lost a lot of it, and so you seemingly still have a strong connection. But the thing about the airplane, that's fascinating. Now, if you would have never been in an airplane, then I'd be even more interested because I I always wonder this: like, what does it do to like exactly what you're saying, like to the connection we would have with the earth like as soon as you have that airplane experience does it change everything um i don't know the answer to that but i think it's a really interesting question but you that you haven't had been in a plane for over 20 years so i mean that's still a long time but mm. your your field has been disconnected yeah well theoretically i think they say that uh you know, every however many years, seven years or 13 years, something like that, every cell in your body is pretty much replaced over that period of time. 
So, do you think that your sense of direction comes from a cellular material <laughs> level, or do you think it comes from something beneath that? Hmm. I don't, but I just thought you know the the uh, fluid nature of the material realm. All right, I'll even that. I'll, you know, even I'll, though I'll I that. yeah, I think I mean it's probably the least fluid of all of our you know bodies, right? Our energy bodies. It's probably the least fluid, at least to our senses. But yeah, no, I mean it's kind of always changing. Uh, underneath our skin, so I don't know. I mean, although I'm not uh, a materialist, and you know that, I just think that it's worth coming back to that as a foundation and then going from there. I don't know. Maybe that's a, f uh, a flaw, or who knows? <laughs> Why would that be a flaw? That's no flaw. It makes sense to me. We don't know. <laughs> right. Um, but I like... Uh, I... I... I, I think about that a lot is the idea of every cell in the body is completely different in a period of time. Like, you know, that, that to me is a very um, empowering sort of idea. For sure. But, yeah. So this, this, and it's funny cause I think about this a lot when <laughs> you don't understand how often I've thought about what you're saying. Like I've literally like, spent cumulatively hours over my lifetime, often lying in bed. But the thing I think about a lot is like, well, how come my scars keep coming back as scars? Hmm. I'm like, so if my scar tissue comes back, because I do know scars fade, but I've got some pretty big scars. Hmm. And so one of the things I think is like, am I able to make my scar disappear over like whatever the, the period of time it would take to get all new uh, tissue over my, where the scar is? Now, I wonder if people who have had an accident where there was some sort of consciousness, like maybe they went under amnesia or they, uh, they, you know, lost consciousness and they didn't have a good memory of the accident that caused the scar. I wonder if because they don't have like a conscious imprint, that scar would go away. Cause I have, I have a scar from a surgery and I was, you know, very aware of when I broke my wrist, it was extremely painful. So I wonder if maybe it's like a consciousness, uh, like it's that memory is so ingrained in me dramatically that that scar kind of comes back uh, through it's, that it's cell held, cycle. It's held, in, it's held in place through that trauma. Yeah. And that, that's an interesting idea. I can see that. I still want to be able to be like, all right, well, let's, let's, Let's pass the trauma on that level to see if I can make the scar. I'm more intrigued by the idea that if I can control it, like you know, how much how much influence can you have over the the particularly your body in the material realm? It's my it's my hypothesis that the answer would be 100% control, and it's a skill to be developed. Mm. Just because one can't do it now doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means that you're not able to do it. Right. Um, that's the way how I like to approach it. I think that's like, as I was saying before, like that is immensely empowering. Well, thank you for entertaining my, uh, my digression back to what you were talking about. I feel like I interjected when you were about to get into something. You're... What were we, do you even remember what we're talking about? I think we're talking about the sky, right? Yeah. You mentioned something about the Amish buggies and then you said how it's very forested. Whatever you said, it made me look up, uh, 
Gnome countryside again, and I looked up Kirkwood, and I found out that that word means um, the wood near the church. The wood near the church, huh? So um, what I would say is go and do a search on uh, Gnome countryside and Airbnb because there are better pictures of it in their Airbnb ad than on the actual website, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is very cool. We should, <laughs> right, put, gotta... we should put the links in the, um, to this in the description. Cause I... Definitely, definitely so. I mean, and, uh, and there, there, there's so much to do here. There's like saunas. Every day I just go down to the canyon and I write and I do yoga and, and just it, the place is, is, is really meeting me in a, in a nice way. Um, but what I was going to say is one of my favorite things to do uh, to do here is I've always liked this. I've always liked the idea of walking the, where I live. Um, and I always have like a, a, particularly when I lived in a place for a while, a sense of ownership, a sense of responsibility. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Not like ownership, like this is mine, but like ownership, like I'm responsible for this. So stewardship, I think would probably be a better way of mm -hmm. saying it. But I would love to walk around like the neighborhood and just like I just have that sense. If anything was like out, like needed help or like you know a tree falls down, like you know it's I I I was always happy for the opportunity to 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 step into it. And and when I lived in in Marietta, I didn't feel that so much walking in Marietta that feeling. But when I rode on the on the bike trail, I definitely had that feeling. And so. Um, I haven't had that feeling actually since I've been in Marietta. I just haven't been. Uh, Millersville was not really that conducive uh, for like a neighborhood walk. And Baltimore, it was during the winter, and that wasn't the most conducive for walking either. But I find myself here in Milne Countryside. And yes, it's wooded. But if you look in the greater area surrounding it, it's very, uh, it's, it's Amish farmland. And there are all of these just like, farm roads around me and so farm road there's no shoulder and it's two lanes and it's usually a little bit narrow and it bumps up against like you know a farm and so walking on these farm roads i usually go after di dinner like around six or seven and this week the weather's been really kind of strange for mid to late may it's been misty and cool but the views and just walking along these farms and and the interactions with, with all of the people who live around here has been so much fun for me. And it's been so much fun. And, um, and, the, and, and the Amish, they, 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 they gossip. They're, they're, they're gossip hounds. Can I tell you a little bit how I know this? Are they gossiping about you? <laughs> yes, yes, because I found out they're gossiping about me. <laughs> so, so first, like, I think I, 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 I cut a, like a, a striking figure. Like, it's not like, like if you were to see me walking, you'd be like, huh, what, what, what exactly is that? So I typically have like an outfit and I, I wear like these black shorts and I have a black hoodie and I usually wear uh, like a, like a knit hat, like a beanie. And then I'll have. Uh, I've got like blue sneakers and I always have colorful socks and I pull my socks up, you know, up to my, they're usually like mid calf 
and I've got a backpack on and I've got a walking stick and I spin the walking stick as I walk. Like I just like rotate it around my hand. So imagine like you're like driving around in the in the Amish countryside and you just see this character just walking. <laughs> well, I would ass- I would imagine they might mistake you for Amish dressed like that. <laughs> like some kind of really creative uh, uh, out, outside uh, Rumspringer Amish guy. That does not happen. No. <laughs> but but there, is, there is a look. You're, you are kind of right in the fact like the look is probably more similar to that than just wearing like jeans and like more similar to an Amish attire than, than jeans and a t-shirt, I suppose. So yesterday was it yesterday or maybe yeah it was yesterday um my friend paul wall comes and he visits right and paul wall is another kind of strikingly strikingly unusual character in appearance he's probably five foot seven and he dresses um he dresses like like kind of fancy. Like you wouldn't expect a professional drifter to be d- dressing fancy, but the dudes are always dress fancy. Like he wears loafers. Like what sort of drifter wears loafers? But <laughs> the guy does. Uh, but it's like it's this this total drifter chic. Like it's it's so friggin' funny. And he's got a mohawk. So you got me, and then me and Paul Wall were walking down the street yesterday, and he's got his mohawk, and. He's just walking in the middle of the street. I, I usually walk on the sides, but he's a he's a professional walker. Like he's like you know, he was going to go and walk to West Virginia before before he went to the Baltimore place, and he's walked you know across states many times, and it's that's part of whatever the story of 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 Paul Wall is. So this is very much in his element to be walking on like back roads and and, and stuff like that. So we're walking down the road. And the first thing is we went to go get some raw milk from this from this Amish farm. And we came with a jug because we told that uh, from from Mr. Rich, he was like, yeah, the, the farm up there, you could go and get raw milk. Uh, if you bring your own jug, like it'll cost you a dollar. They fill it up right there. So we go, we go and we 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 walk into this farm. And so, so there's some Amish farms where it's very evident that you can come up and, and buy whatever they're selling. Like there'll be signs that say like eggs are this much or farm or some sort of indication that it's okay to approach. And then there are other places where there aren't any signs. But And I'm still a little bit learning about the, the subtleties of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So the farm he told us to go to, it did not have like one of these signs that says like, you know, uh, uh, raw milk. Like, and you'll see that in a lot of the farms, raw milk here and you can go in and, but I could see that there were a bunch of cows there. And I was like, this must be it. So me and Paul Wall, we, we take a turn off of, um, off of the road, it was Bartman Road. And we start walking up this driveway and I could see these silhouettes inside the barn, inside of the, the dairy barn, as we get closer, it becomes quite evident that the the silhouettes are to, to children. They're not to adults. We walk in, and they're four boys, probably ages seven to nine. And we go through the strangest, like, uh, uh, 
exchange, like business exchange with these boys. And it was absolutely, it was hysterical. Like they were, they were postured so tough. They were postured so tough. And we're like kind of postured tough as well. And we're going back and forth. And like they, they've got their Pennsylvania Dutch uh, speak. And there's a little bit of a communication, uh, a communication thing going on. And then at the end, uh, we get our milk. We give them two dollars. Paul Wall shakes the kid's hand because he was like he was just driving such a hard bargain. And then we go and we leave. And we continue to we dropped off the milk and then we continued on to walk a little bit uh, <laughs> further. Hold on. And we okay. You Am got I, some questions? <laughs> Before you leave, unless they're going to reappear in the story, can I ask some questions about the boys? Please. Yes. Yes. Okay. Go right ahead. I'm picturing <laughs> very plain, uh, two tone dressed stern-faced children am i correct like no smile just looked at you like what do you need sir <laughs> uh yeah, like everything like we really shouldn't have been there over uh-huh. there like i don't think like that's not like normal but like at the same time so there was a little bit and there wasn't there wasn't any adult there we were adults and i came up and i said hey can i uh I understand that I can get raw milk here. We're staying at Gnome Countryside. Is 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 that correct? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And they're just staring at us, and we're staring at them, and they're like milking the cows. They're in the process of milking cows, like doing like their the Amish thing. They're not like underneath them. They, they're like there's a center aisle, and there's a row of at least probably like 15 cows on each side, and we're like standing right in the middle. Do like, they use, yeah. do they use uh, vacuum hoses or no technology at all? I don't know. I don't think there were vacuum hoses. They didn't. They I, didn't have any but, but device had, hooked up to had, the cows. No, I don't think so. They, but they did have like a big metal thing. It wasn't like like a bucket underneath the cow, and they're like sitting on a on a stool. It wasn't like that. But I'm not. But it wasn't a vacuum. I have no idea what it was. So the we go up there because I've I, milked I, raw. I've I've gotten raw milk out of cows did i tell you that that i worked on a on a dairy farm i did not know you worked on a dairy farm i know a thing or two about uh their their industry so then so then then you know so they had so imagine that center aisle Uh and it looked like they had like this big metal thing but it wasn't it wasn't with the vacuum suction i don't know what how they extract the milk i don't know so going back to like the interaction with the boy. So we start this conversation and it's like, uh, it was unclear. I'm like, am I, how much do I pay you for this? And then one of the boys says, you don't pay any money. And then, and then he started changing his story. He starts changing his story. It's like, well, you don't pay any money on Sunday, but today's not Sunday. So you'd have to pay. That sounds like a, that's, <laughs> that sounds like some kind of Amish trick. <laughs> it was, that's totally what Paul Wall was saying. He was like, yeah. So we've got the, the main kid who's like taking like the, the reins and he was probably the oldest. He was nine years old and his body language was definitely like, like he was, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who's calling the shots here. And he's like, you know, kind of like sticking out his chest, but he's got his hands clasped and, and he's holding his energy really, really kind of good. I wonder if that was all a show for the other boys, so he would like, like, hey, 
go along with me. Let's rob these fools of two dollars. <laughs> well, I, I think that, that they've been doing that all along. But yes, it was part of it for like the other boys look younger. So like there was like one who and we me and Paul were laughing so hard about because we were, we we discussed the whole thing. So there there was one who was like really frail looking. And then there was like this really like beefy looking like Amish boy who had no brim on his hat. Like it looked so gangster with like he they all have the straw hats and his had no brim on it. Huh. And usually what happens is because like the the hats would work their way down the family. So by the time you're the youngest, you know, it's the third time hand me down. And what <laughs> usually starts to break off is gonna be the 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 brims to the hat. Hmm. And uh, we were talking to all of them. Their names were Daniel, Daniel, uh, Chris. It wasn't. He didn't go by Chris. Uh, but I, anyway, so so the other ones were a little bit softer. But the bigger the the guy who went and got us the milk, the nine year old who was the tough guy, he definitely was like kind of taking the lead of the other boys. And now, did you get the sense that this was like a? children of the corn situation and the parents just weren't there and somehow these boys were on the farm no, that was their job no i think they were just doing like you you'll see eight-year-old kids um manning uh like a like a, a workhorse like a Clydesdale. you know what a Clydesdale looks like oh my gosh yeah they're huge sure. So those are kind of like the workhorses which are used in, in Amish farming. Pulled and so carts imagine, and things. So imagine four of them maybe attached and like there's a plow, like, you know, and it's like turning the soil. And then you've got like a 12-year-old kid who's like standing on the plow, like like running the show. Like that's normal. Like it's totally normal for for uh for the an Amish child to have a very high responsibility job. Wow. And so to see them like doing the um uh uh to see um them in a situation where they're calling the shots or doing something like that, that's that's completely within the norm. Yeah. Well and it, it's it's so cool for me to hear because that's my grandfather's life not that he was Amish but he left school in the fourth grade and got a job as a janitor at a local theater and you know it's not exactly farm work but that was the that was the era he grew up in where you know and especially with the area where he grew up as well very rural uh that's that was just how it was you know and I, I mean I don't know he lived a long, healthy, happy life. I think there's something to that, but there, there definitely is something to that. Yeah, I mean, I we mean, could it, it, go ahead. Go on. No, I was gonna say we could. I could ask you about the Amish all day, but I feel like I, I'm getting ahead of your story here with Paul Wall. Well, I like to. I like to talk about the Amish because I think it's interesting and and it's it's such a fa uh, it's it's so it's such a interesting. Um, pivot mm. from Baltimore, right? Right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's just it's just like in. Do you remember when when Weird Al Yankovic did his version of um, Gangsters Paradise? 
<laughs> Living in an Amish paradise. So yeah. it, like that's literally like you know, like like that's kind of like that's the that's the living field. That's the pivot. So the 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 story was with the boys was just the funniest thing. So anyway, so Paul Wall and I we 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 continue on our walk, and a little bit further up the road, uh, and there's this one there's this one stretch. I, I call it I call it Satan's handshake. Because it's this stretch of road where there's a blind turn on the top of it, and it's real steep, and there's no shoulders on the left or right. So the uh, to the left and right of the road are um, it's banked. Hmm. So if two cars were coming at the same time and you were there, like there's no place to go, and because it's a bl- it's a blind hill on the top. Like the car coming down is not going to see anyone until like they're all the way coming down. So there's this like moment where you're like, all right, I'm going to go and take, take this little walk, you know, where if cars come like, you know, it's, that's probably one of the more dangerous, it's much more dangerous to walk on these, these country roads. Like statistically, like the likelihood of you getting hurt are probably higher on the Amish roads. For, for people who, who haven't ever been to a place like this like i i've kind of been around there a little bit not exactly where you are now but can't you just walk on the on the grass on the side of the road or what are we well, talking about I'm, here that's what i'm saying it's banked mm. so so imagine where the road ends like there's like a very steep hill so right. unless you are able to walk like uh, an incline uh, or it like it's not an incline it's like a 90 degree angle maybe not that extreme like it's it's possible it's possible but usually like on the roads like yeah just if there are cars coming like there is there is like grass to the left or the right of the road um but there's this one section where there isn't where there's you're just in the road now this is interesting because you were saying that before and i wanted to clarify and again maybe this will be a whole nother tangent we could pick it up in a bit but I was listening to a podcast with author uh, and Dr. Gregory Gregory Little. He just came out with a really cool book called The Origins of the Gods. Uh, The publisher happened to send it to me, which was really cool. And I was listening to him interview, and he was talking about this road in between two uh, mound sites, this ancient road. And the road had been packed with earth on either sides, about three feet high. And these two mound sites, one in Tennessee and the other one, I think, in uh, a neighboring state, they were connected by this earthen, you know, worked road, and they are both astronomically aligned, one for the moon and one for the sun, it seemed. Uh yeah symbolically they both you know attract the same right right right. i i I think i may even know what you're talking about because i i've read a lot about the the particularly the the tennessee the ohio Mm. the the very large complexes which stretch like 70 100 miles long um and it's fascinating i mean uh when when you see the the degree of of thoughtfulness of putting the travel way of their roads in like a symbolic or a mirroring um, reflection of what you see in the heavens. Uh, and it's funny now that now I, I, I think I get where you're going with, with this point. 
is this is kind of a version of that. So I want to go and and pay more attention now of the alignment of this particular portion of road. But let can, can I yeah, let me tell you why I was walking yeah, yeah, yeah. on that road because I walk up the road. You walk up the road and there's a schoolhouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so an Amish schoolhouse. So uh, me and Paul Wall go like and a one room type deal. Yeah, yeah, totally one room type deal. One room type deal. And so we go and we walk up like there's a like a sidewalk and we sit down on, on the front. We're just kind of talking. And the the schoolhouses are on someone's property. It's not like the Amish then have municipal property where their school board builds it. Like, no, this is someone who's got like property. They're like, we're going to build this house and it's going to be like the the community schoolhouse. Right. And so the guy who who's, I guess, property, he walks up and he's like, uh, and he's like, uh, hello, how are you? Can I help you? He's this, I would say about like a 75-year-old Amish guy named Stephen. And so we get to talking to him and like, oh, I'm staying at known countryside. And like, is it okay that we're sitting here? He's like, yes. And we're, we're conversing. And he says to me, he's like, well, I've been hearing about someone walking around with a stick. And then I pulled out my stick and I'm like, you must have heard about me. <laughs> I knew they're all got a whole bunch of gossips. <laughs> and so that, that would be, that would be, uh, one of my favorite things to do is just like the walk around and, and meeting the people. It's, it's just so different. Well, um, and then also being like recognized as, as a little bit of a, of an outsider too, is, is kind of fun. Not well. just an outsider, but an, an outsider with, uh, with a weapon potentially. I mean, not that you would consider that a weapon. I mean, unless you needed to defend yourself, but yeah, I mean, to them, I'm sure they're like, oh, geez, are we going to have to start carrying our own walking sticks around? Otherwise, this guy's going to club us in the head. <laughs> they don't. They they know better than that. Um, and I'm spinning it. When you see someone spinning their stick, it kind of... It, okay. It's often. Well, I'm not, you know, for people who who maybe just listen and, and don't go and look at your YouTube channel and whatnot, which I'm sure is a very small portion of the audience, Mike, you're not a threatening. You don't look threatening. But if I walked around with a I stick. I threatening. Don't you, don't, you, don't you discount my ability. No, I just mean you have a nice, you have a, you have a warm, you know, I'm sure you can, yes, yeah, you can defend yourself, of course, but you're, you're a warm guy. You don't, you don't walk around with like a, a mean mug on your face. So I, I'm not trying to suggest that, but I just, I wonder like, uh, yeah, maybe the walking stick kind of gave him a little bit of a, I don't know, <laughs> like, should we have walking sticks too? <laughs> well, they definitely will because the Amish are pacifists. Hmm. Well, I didn't know that. Yes, they are. The Amish are pacifists. So they own no yep. guns, no anything like that. And well, and they practice nonviolence. Wow. So uh, this is kind of interesting. Are you in front of your computer? Yeah. All right. So go type in your search, your search, your computer search box. Like, do you remember what they used to have? Like, you don't even know. There used to be like these boxes and you'd like write suggestions on a piece of paper and you'd drop it in. Like, you know, things like that don't even exist anymore. But nonetheless, so you're going to go to your, your search and type in um, 
nickel mines uh, shooting. Nickel mines shooting. Okay, and yeah. that's spelled like M I M I N N E S. You can just go look at the Wikipedia. It's always the easiest. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember hearing about this. So let just just to bring everyone up to speed, what it is. Yeah. So the uh, shooting occurred at the West Nickel Mines School, an Amish one-room schoolhouse. Uh, <clears throat> a gunman took hostages and shot ten girls, killing five before committing suicide. So when when did this happen? October. 2nd, 2006. So this 2006. So you're looking at the Wikipedia entry, is that correct? Yep. So when it lists like the the other, um, like the topics, does it, uh, what, what else, what, what are the subheadings on the page? Incident, perpetrator, 911 calls, timeline of events, aftermath, schoolhouse demolition, victims, fundraising, in popular culture. Amish community response. Um, let's look. Let's look at. Um, did you say one was like uh, media or or something about like how it was covered? Let's see. Timeline like of maybe, events and nine one one calls. And then after that. Aftermath. Aftermath. Okay. What does it say? The aftermath or anything? I'm looking to see like where I'm getting at. Like this for like a. Easily for a two-week period, that was the biggest story. That was the biggest story. Yeah. So we've been so deconditioned, or we've been so conditioned to, like, just move on to the next. But, like, at once upon a time, that was a really big deal, okay? And, and where I was getting at, like, like, it was, like, an international news story because it was, like, horrific. It was, like, an Amish country, and, like, this guy comes in, and he just shoots up a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, and this was 2006. So this is also – go back to your – go back to your, your – uh, um, your search, your search box. Okay. And type in, keep up, like maybe nickel mine shooting and keep, type in Joe Biden. Did that pull anything up? Biden says he heard gunshots from nickel mine shooting. That's the first <laughs> thing that comes up. So there's this ridiculous, there's this like ridiculous thing where Joe Biden was at like a press event and he was talking about, um, he was talking about uh, mass shootings and he indicates that uh, he was in earshot. He was at a golf outing when the nickel mine shooting happened. Huh. Like he, he's on record saying that and like everyone's like, like he, that's ridiculous because there's no golf courses near in earshot of nickel mines right okay all right so now what i want you to do is and and it's we could go down that path and i've gone down and talked about this before about like joe biden and his strange connection to lancaster because he definitely has it and like and 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 missing amish people but uh what what i'm getting at though is i want you to go and type in uh just in your search uh nickel mines pa and pull it up on a map Okay. All right. So maybe you could do um, do uh, uh, 
directions? Are you on like Google? Yeah. Or no, I'm on, does- yeah, I'm on the DuckDuckGo map, which is like what an iPhone map is like. It's the same. And you could do directions, right? Yeah. So do directions from Nickel Mines to Gnome Countryside. <laughs> so I'm like what, like maybe four miles from there? Yeah, wow, that is way close, way closer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like I'm in, I'm in the hard Amish country, uh, and and just that that whole sort of situation. And nickel mines, you know how nickel mines, uh, it nickel mines used to produce. I think it was something like. It was either 20 or 80%, whatever the number is, it's still ridiculously high. 80 or 20% of the world's nickel production, when it was an active mine, came from nickel mines. Hmm. Because, have you ever heard of like uh, the Wharton School of Business? Yeah. Like it's a fancy like school of business. The dude Wharton, who it's named after, uh, he made his money a couple different ways, but one of his ways was like, he literally owned mints, and he convinced the government that they needed a five cent piece. And he said, "I will mint it for you. It'll be a, it will call it a nickel, and I'll make it out of nickel." And all of that nickel came from nickel mines. All of the nickel for the first pressing of the first nickel. For the first like fifty years of nickels. Wow. For however long that this dude Wharton had like the had the uh, however long they were using nickel in nickels like nickels no longer in nickel yeah can you hear the fireworks going on behind me i couldn't tell that they were yours or mine well they're your fireworks no we should let <laughs> we should let the listeners know at least that we're recording this well it'll come out memorial day weekend so yeah it's memorial day weekend folks we got fireworks going on celebrate <laughs> Go out and celebrate. Well, I'm looking um, up right now how long the nickel's been around because I definitely would love to know uh, what years, you know, maybe there are people listening who are like, oh, I have a, a nickel from that year, and then they'll have a little piece of uh, a connection to this place, even if they're, you know, seemingly hundreds of miles away. But anyways, wow, that is... That is strange, Mike, that you, t- <laughs> that you ended up that close. And it's in a place called Georgetown, which everybody knows uh, Georgetown is like CIA. The Georgetown University is kind of like a CIA school, right? Well, it, it, it's funny you say that. So let's go back into uh, your search engine. Okay. And type in maybe... So the first, uh, before I get off this page about the nickels, it says that the first nickel uh, was after the Civil War. So 1866 was the first nickel. So any nickels from 1866 to 1916 seemingly are all from that place. So you are you should be able to go and see uh, if you if you did a control F on that Wikipedia page you should be able to cross reference it with um, with uh, Wharton. Mm. Did you try that? No, but what were you gonna? While I do that, what do you? What were you gonna have me search next? 
Uh, where was I going to go? We were going to do something interesting. The CIA Georgetown. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So this is a good one. So go type in uh, CIA Iran-Contra Quarry, uh, Airport Quarryville, PA. Jeez, everything happens in PA. Quarry, like rock quarry? Yeah, Q-U-A-R-R-Y. Okay. And don't close out that map. Do it on a different on a different tab because we're going to go back to that map. Okay. All Did right. that pull anything up? Um, another Wikipedia page. I'm going to hit control. What's the Wikipedia F. page? It's uh, the Iran-Contra All Wikipedia right. so, page. No, but- we... But no, it's not coming up. Try so go back to the go back to um go back to to the search engine and do um Iran Contra CIA Lancaster PA. Okay. Do you see any uh what are some of the articles you got? Ray McGovern is not afraid to speak his mind about what he sees as the corruption of the Central Intelligence Agency. Oh, Um, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so it's it's probably more hidden. Like, it's been a while since I've done that. I don't remember how I got there. But um, you know the Iran-Contra event. So that was more or less, it was an... uh, uh, a CIA operation went went public, and so you got all of the the details of it, and you figured out, you learned how all of these things work. And one of the things which came out was there is this small little airport in Quarryville, Pennsylvania, which was indicted in uh, and part of this the CIA Iran Contra um, smuggling sort of operations. So if you go back and you look at the map, you're going to go and see, uh, you mentioned Georgetown, go type in Coryville. It's all, they're, it's all the same area. <laughs> and like it makes, this whole a- makes perfect sense in proximity to what it's in proximity to. I mean, three like huge major cities. In the middle of nowhere, like real, like interesting, you can get access to 95 or Route 1. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like it's, it is a, it is a um, there's a lot of there's a lot of bizarreness that that does happen here, um, or like there's strange things when you start to like because you wouldn't think it at first because it's just like Amish farmland, and then mm. you begin to see like uh, the stories of of that shooting, which was very bizarre if you read the details, and then Joe Biden's connection, you know, he, him mentioning it, um, so the CIA having connection here in the uh the movie the boys from brazil in the movie you know the movie the boys from brazil no i just i know of the movie brazil the classic movie but not that no is it related so so, uh just the fact that it both has the name brazil in its title but other than that it's not (laughs) both movies so the boys from brazil is uh, I I want to say came out in maybe the early to mid seventies. You should watch it. Um, great movie. But here's the premise of it: 
It's about this guy who's a Nazi hunter. All right. This is this movie came out in the seventies. Great time. And and he's a Nazi hunter, and he's down in in Brazil, and he's like, I think I found him. I think I found uh, um, like you know a bunch of these Nazis. Maybe it was even Mengele. So like the whole movie is about this Nazi hunter in South America looking for all the Nazis down there. And um, it's kind of like one of these, these um, like it blends tr- uh, fiction and, and, and nonfiction, I suppose. And in, the, in it, um, what you come out to learn is that Joseph Mengele, you know who Joseph Mengele is? Yeah. As it relates to, to like, Nazi war. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, you know, he's the head evil doctor. So he was heading a cloning operation, like down in Brazil. Like, this is what it was all about. They're like cloning. They had all these different clones of like Adolf Hitler and all these other people. And like, they were like cloning. Like, they were talking about that in this movie. But the point I'm trying to make with all of this is if you go and you look, uh, go and look at the Boys from Brazil Wikipedia page and then do a search for Lancaster and the final scene. It, you find out that uh, Joseph Joseph Mengele leaves Brazil and moves in and retires in southern Lancaster County in a farm. And that scene in the movie was filmed like right around the corner from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, that's just a movie, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know, like... <laughs> no, and it's it's interesting you brought the, this, that this came up because... Uh, tinfoil hat this week all three of the guests talked about Nazis just coincidentally it was a three really great podcasts three different guests none of them were planning on talking about that subject outright but it came up except for the last one um, but yeah it was it was an interesting week uh, for podcasting definitely heard a lot about the South American Nazis and yeah, I don't know how much fiction they had to put into this. It's pretty, exactly. you know. But the other thing that stands out is the shooting and this movie uh, both came out in the early part of October. You know, I'm born in the early part of October. And then the nickel as well was uh, first put into circulation in October. So it's kind of interesting that all three of these Things that are randomly connected are all sort of dated in the same month. In the October time frame. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. and those and those uh, mounds I was telling you about before are octagonal shaped mounds. Octagonal, like looking down in plan, or, or like the, the side. Yeah, they have like uh, eight sides. Um, when they had outer walls surrounding them. Now they're just mounds, but in their original form, they had an eight-sided wall around each of them. Sounds kind of star forty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh man, we could go down a whole bunch of different uh, angles with that because I've been. Uh, I talked to a guy named Chad Stemke who lives up in Michigan doing research up at Strange Michigan. He's a big fan of yours. Uh, and he found some some star forts in Detroit's history. And then uh, the other star fort thing that came up, oh, shoot, I already lost it. 
There's another, <laughs> there was another, oh yeah, the grave, the grave of Golden Bear. So there's this story I learned about through an author named Rick Osman. He was on, uh, it was actually one of the episodes I sent you uh, for the Rising from the Ashes podcast, the podcast you'll be going on next month. Um, pretty soon, actually. Only uh, On the 5th. Yeah. So that they had Rick on their show, and they interviewed him, and, and he talked about how allegedly a party with King Arthur sailed down the St. Lawrence River into the Great Lakes and uh, found a place in the Ohio River Valley where they set up these forts. And this author, Rick, his theory is that maybe the Native Americans came across this fort after King Arthur's party had sort of unsuccessfully settled there. They ditched their settlement and went back. Maybe they came across this sort of very European-seeming style of fort and adopted it into their, um, you know, what they were already doing with earthworks. So there's a sort of strange take that I hadn't heard anyone else make before as well. I had never heard that story about King Arthur coming to the Ohio River Valley, but apparently there's evidence of this in, like, Roman coins that they found uh, around the you know, Ohio River Valley. So, who knows? It's, uh, there's a, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a lot of, um, but you just so say a word like Starfort and I could just <laughs> go off on a, in a million directions. Well, I mean, probably one of the most famous Starforts is the one in Baltimore, right? I hadn't even known about that, so it's not... Fort McHenry. Okay. I feel you like someone's talked about that with me before, but no. Should, uh, so Fort McHenry, go and take a look at that. Why, why Fort McHenry is so significant is that is where they tell us the story of the Star-Spangled Banner, our national anthem, where, right, where Francis it was got keys. Right, at in Fort McHenry during the War of 1812. Right, right. Yeah, and it does look exactly like a star fort right down there in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's linked with, like, like I was saying, what what I find intriguing is the fact that it, they're linking the national anthem, um, they're, they're linking the national anthem to uh, that specific structure. Mm. Right. Wow. You know, whenever you hear these stories and you go and you dig a little bit deeper, you, you're like, they're, they're, they're linked. They're, they're, um, they're, there are, are energetic connections entangling different ideas and feelings and sentiments with place and structure and so forth. You know, that's, that's part of the, it's part of the, the the magic of making of making a system work. You know, if you if you really think about it and you ever ask like, you know, how do you how do you go and create like like a system like this? Like how did this actually happen? Like it did, otherwise we wouldn't be here, um, in it. And there are there are just all these different ways which 
hold it into place. And this would be one of them. And, and they're always like these really like behind the scenes things that you wouldn't think of would be particularly like, this is how it works. I'm like, yeah, you go and you link ideas and people's consciousness with places and understanding of, uh, with emotion and feeling. And then, you know, something comes alive or at least takes root. Hmm. And all of the national, so our national anthem is all about war, right? You know, the bombs bursting in air. Right. And what I thought was funny, so I go to my youngest son had their year-end spring concert. And because of school and the way things are, it's like they, they made, the, the students sang the, or they played the Ukrainian national anthem. Okay? And then, <laughs> and, and then they, 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 uh, they sang it in, in Ukrainian, and then they read, the, they read the translation of the lyrics. <laughs> and I'm listening to this and I'm like, I can't even believe what I'm listening to. And it's like, and I, I'm going to be a little bit silly here. I'm paraphrasing. Maybe you can go and double check on me and, and, and on, on the computer. But it was basically like, you know, we're celebrating and dancing on the bodies of our dead enemies for our freedom. And like, you know, it's just like this absolute, like it almost felt like Borat. Like this over the top, like, is this really what the national anthems are? But that apparently is like, you know, that's a big part of, of national anthem writing is going to be about the, the, the bombs bursting and the, the dancing on the bodies of your enemies. Wow. Yeah. That, that's definitely very Borat <laughs> for sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, geez, that, what they're letting the, yeah, no, I mean. As someone... so, here, so let's see how accurate I am. Could you go and search for Ukrainian national anthem and then see the translation? I think it was just like one or two lines, but I remember just being like, "What?" That's what I just thought was so funny. Yeah, hold on, I found them. Poetic English translation. Okay, uh, let's see. So there's two. There, there's three different anthems, so I'm gonna. Huh. We might have to table this. I didn't realize this was such a big. No, no, no. So many no, We're it's not. To the bottom it... of this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if they, okay. you could, you could just answer real quick. So, how quickly did they finish? Was this a long <laughs> anthem or was it fairly short? I don't remember. Were there like multiple paragraphs or did it seem like one paragraph? I think it was was short. Okay, so then I'm going to guess, because there's only two and one of them's really long, the other one's not. So it says, Nay, thou art not dead, Ukraine. See thy glories born again. And the skies, O brethren, upon us smile once more. As in spring melts the snow, so shall melt away the foe. And well, we shall be masters in our home, soul and body. Yeah, are all offer we at freedom's call. We whose forebears and ourselves proud Cossacks are. I don't think this is the same one. <laughs> Maybe they're psyoping these kids and giving them some kind of adapted version. We stand. Maybe the. We'll stand, brothers, in the bloody battle from the sea to the dawn. 
we shall not let others rule in our motherland. That's like the worst, that's like the most graphic phrase. Maybe they're like playing it up for these kids. Like they're making, maybe they played, maybe they played it up. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they might like, I, maybe this is a part of the psyop. They give this crazy version of their anthem. It's not even, I mean, geez, I don't know. I, I'm not saying you're, you're misremembering Mike, but uh, it does sound like uh, it doesn't sound like something that's that far fetched, and I have no reason to believe you'd you'd be lying. So I'm gonna take your word. But yeah, this doesn't look that bad. I mean, from what I see on Wikipedia, it seems pretty mundane. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna go have to find the version because I know that we've got the but uh, my, my son's got the lyrics because we talked about it after the show. What did your What did your son think? He's like these are kind of crazy lyrics. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he thought it was as funny as me. I don't think he he really appreciated thought that much it. of it. But yes, but you know, I like to appreciate the small little things. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No. So I how like... did we even get? How did we even get to Ukraine? I don't even know. Jeez, that question. That's we could spend another hour trying to figure that out. I don't know, Mike. Oh, because you talked about Fort Henry, you talked about Francis uh, Scott Keys, and then you talked about national anthems. Boom, right. we found it. Boom. There we go. It, it all started with the Star Fort. <laughs> See what it I mean? All, A million different it, directions. That's what happens when you bring Star Fort into the mix. So let's take it, let's ground, let's take it back before, because I don't know how much more time you have. I assume you're outside, so I don't want to keep you outside much longer, but um, let's ground it back in, in where we are now, in the now. I liked what you were saying before about being a steward and feeling appreciation for where you are. I found that this week uh, there was an... Uh, something going on with the bushes in the front somebody was trimming them and then they left for the day and left a whole big mess and so i went out and you know i'm like what's going on here kind of just looking around i find all this trash in the parking lot and i'm like you know what what's going on i'm paying a lot of money to live here and this is this is not you know i don't i don't so i called the landlord you know i'm just like hey what's going on with this trash you know people and he's like, ah, there's nothing I can do about that. And don't worry, I'm going to find a guy to, to mow the lawn. And I'm like, well, hey, I can mow the lawn. I got a mower. And he's like, really? You don't mind? So now uh, I took care of the lawn. I weed whacked everything. And the, the landlord owns the building next to us, which they have like one little three foot by three foot patch of grass. Our lawn is pretty pretty big compared to that and then there's like a common backyard area that was is pretty big but i've been landscaping my whole life i took care of it and i felt a a big tremendous sense of pride you know just kind of looking around like uh oh wow looks a lot nicer and the the neighbors that i have are mostly you know in their 70s and 80s so they were all like oh looks so nice thank you you know and so yeah, I was uh, kind of got a, a taste of that this week, and uh, you know, the bonus is that now I'm getting a hundred and fifty dollars knocked off my rent each month that I do that. So worked out pretty good. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I could definitely appreciate that. Um, taking 
taken the, the responsibility with it. So what else is going on this week? Well, not much, you know. I've just been uh, keeping my head on the ground, you know. I talked to that guest that I was asking you if you'd like to take part. Maybe we can have her on uh, this the show. Yeah, the dream, my dream spell calendar. I had her on My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. The episode came out. I think I shared the audio shared file with you. But I, but I have not listened to it, but I'm curious. Yeah, definitely listen to it. I just, I said to T, I'd love to know your feedback on the intro part of it. The intro. The intro. Yeah, that's what I've been working the, the hardest on lately. The intros, I put a lot of thought into how I'm going to pull the listener into the show. And, uh, huh. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm really excited to listen to it. I want to go and 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 hear that. Were there any was there any specific takeaway which you had from your conversation with her? Well, I think we've talked about this since I've met you, uh, Jose Arguelles, and time in the technosphere, right? And this yeah. whole um, the moon cycle. So it was really cool to speak to someone who connected the dots and kind of shared with me some things that I didn't realize about Jose, uh, that he, that he was, um, I think the way she put it was he was, uh, recognized by 10 Mayan elders as, you know, the first person to, you know, integrate this Mayan calendar into the Western understanding. And it was this great, unprecedented thing that marked the you know the new age of aquarius it's probably written about in his book i just haven't finished it because it's it's a very complex book but either way that was cool to learn i didn't realize that jose was such you know, so inextricably part of the mayan dream spell calendar as we you know see it in these graphs and charts and then she explained oh, yeah. that uh, you know, the archetypes have become modernized and that the, you know, the traditional Mayan um, meanings are a little different. Like, for instance, the first one, it says red dragon or sea dragon in, in the Mayan, you know, consciousness that would have been crocodile or alligator, right? So it, it has become a little different from the original stuff, but I think that's yeah, it's just so cool to to learn about this system that we've been talking about in a different way too. I mean, with the you know baseline reality, this is what baseline reality is. The Mayans were completely tapped into the the baseline. So yeah, it was a great interview, great conversation. I learned a lot from her. I definitely feel like I have a sort of obstacle cognitively when it comes to this sort of thing for whatever reason i don't know if it's necessarily what sort of thing? when it comes to um it well it's not i don't maybe you would tell me it's not mathematical maybe you would tell me it is i don't know but i feel like what, there's what, a the thing? well with with um with the 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 cycles and the the calendar like there's something i feel like a like a key that it it's not fully conceptualized in my mind gotcha like gotcha I, like what how it all works and but specifically as it talks about like the 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 numbers 
Well, when I, I understand the frame of reference that we're using this system, but when it comes to like the thing itself, that's where, you know what I'm saying? Like when I, when I use a ruler, I have a very good understanding of the, the piece of wood that I'm measuring. I understand right. what it is and I understand the ruler and what the ruler's doing. In this case, I feel like I have the ruler. I know what the ruler does, but I don't know quite what I'm measuring fully. And I know it might sound silly because it's like, well, you're measuring the, the movement of the moon and the sun. And, but I, I, again, I feel like maybe it's the, the, the lack of like, maybe to your point earlier about being in a place where, you know, you don't kind of get the best view of the sky. Maybe that has something to do with it. Like I, I never really knew have, so have, what's, what, what specifically, cause you haven't given me any specifics. Like what specifically are, are you saying? Like, like for example, like the Mayan, are you calendar, like the numbers 13 and 20 and 52 are really significant. Are you talking about like that? Or are you talking about more so like, the 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 archetypes like what is it which you just doesn't kind of gel for you well i guess it's not that it doesn't gel it's just it's it's the the system itself really like the calendar like i said like i i understand what what the the ruler is but i don't understand what we're measuring so to speak like i like i so to me so th this this is my opinion. This is where I am with with all of this, and, and this is kind of fun because I think this might be our last the last area of of conversation or topic of conversation. But this is where we began because you said we're moving to the new moon. So I've uh, I first got into calendars by studying all of uh, Jose's work. Like I was, I had. Anything which you could purchase, I bought, like, as it related to it. It's back, like, 2012 time frame. Um, and I read it, and there were, like, all of these posters and, like, cards and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I do have a pretty good point of reference um, uh, for where I'm going to go now. Um, to me, it's it's... It's still a it's still a false calendar system. <laughs> Maybe it's more accurate than the Gregorian, but the reason why it's false is if each one of these are unless the beginning of each of these uh, more or less months lines up with the new moon with what you actually see with your eyes, well then it's out of alignment with what's happening around us. And I think that might be what you're talking about is like. It should be as simple as like, okay, the next cycle begins now because it's the new moon. Mm. Like I'm, I'm able, like, I don't have to learn anything. I just need to pay attention to what's in front of me. Right. And that, that's probably what, what I think you're kind of the, the, when you're saying like there, there's that missing piece, the missing piece is like your internal side saying like, this is still kind of convoluted. It should be more simple. Like all of that, like the number, I love the system and I'm not like, I'm trying not to get into the position like this versus that. And this is right. And this is wrong. I'm like, no, there's a lot of value. If you want to follow it. Go ahead and follow that. But to me, if that's, 
calendar system, which is supposed to be based upon the moon, and if the beginning of your, your, your month doesn't begin when, when the moon changes, well, then that's not reality. That's something else. Mm. Well, and you kind of exactly nailed what I'm feeling and maybe said it better than I could, but the other part of it is like, and it's funny that I do what I do now as a booker because, like, <laughs> I'm the worst planner ever. Like, if you... If you ask me like, oh, yeah, could you come do this? Like, I pretty much, you know, get prepared the day before, you know, like it's just right. I'm not the type of person that plans like a trip months ahead or things like that, you know, like it's always very spontaneous, like within the week of or even maybe within the month. But other people usually are involved in and planning it at that point. So yeah, it's 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 something to do with that where it doesn't gel, it doesn't click, it feels a little convoluted, and also, you know, I, unfortunately, the lifestyle I've been living specifically lately, being on the computer as much as I am just because of work, doesn't feel like uh, like my day is governed by the moon and the sun. Really, it's it's governed by the the clock and when I feel tired, you know? So it, it is kind of, it's, it, and it's interesting cause, um, what Andra said that really stuck with me and was relieving to hear is like, no, don't use this mind dream spell to try to plan ahead. This is, this is to understand what happened in hindsight, you know, and we kind of both express that in, hmm. in different now ways. That, now that, that would make more sense to me if it's looked at for something different than than to to look back and to understand something that that, that I haven't heard that it described that way before mm. and that would not be in contradiction with what I'm saying right and I feel like that you know there's a certain uh, harmony to what you talk about and everything I've heard you discuss within this realm specifically and and where it overlaps with what she was talking about. So, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I'm not just saying this so you go and listen to it, but definitely listen to it uh, and tell me what you think. Maybe the next time we have uh, our conversation, we, we can follow up on that. But, yeah, it was uh, it was a really cool connection point, too, because, you know, everything we've been studying with the mounds and the stones and this ancient culture it seems very much connected to the Maya, the Central America, you know, Central America. And I don't know, I, it feels like there's a, there's an energy there that, you know, cause I, did I tell you about this when I was reading in the Connecticut Indian encyclopedia, they said that, uh, that the Pequa and different tribes in Connecticut believe that, uh, the, Manitou and the creator spirit who they had a different name for lived where the south wind blows from in the warm part of the country where there are no trees which <laughs> sounds to me like the desert right which right you know I think there's definitely you know for people all the way up in New England to be saying that you know there they recognize the mound builders and they recognize this original creator all the way down in this, you know, warm deserty area feels like, uh, 
there's, I don't know. But anyways, that's getting off track a little bit. So, all right. Well, one of the things which, uh, here's some interesting news I can share with you. Yeah. Let's hear it. Uh, which kind of ties into this a little bit is I've been talking, I've been working with this guy uh, and we're moving it along. It's progressing nicely. And that is to begin to uh, start making or manufacturing starboards. Excellent. Yeah. You were telling me a little bit about this. And so we just got the, the mock-ups and what, what, you know, the, what my handmade starboard looked like, but this is going to be um, like laser etched into 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 plywood. Now, when you told me about this, I didn't have, I don't think I had a chance to get into it with you, but I, I wanted to ask you, because, you know, I've seen your starboard. It's very impressive. It's obviously, uh, you, you put a lot of time, energy, effort, and love into it. And, uh, yeah, I was just wondering, like, well, how are you going to reproduce those? Is there a way that it, it's going to still have that kind of natural do you plan on no, adding like no, natural no, sort of elements no, to no, it? Nope, 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 not at all. <laughs> what I made is a work of art. Right. What, but it's a tool. And so what I'm making now is a tool for people to use. If they want a work of art, well, then they got to make a work of art. But this is a tool. Mm. And so what the tool does is it allows you to understand what's happening in the heavens and to be connected with it in a real tangible way. That's awesome. Now, are you planning on it? And sorry to cut you off. I've been doing that a lot this episode. Um, Is it going to be the same size, the same scale, or is it scaled down? A little bit smaller. It's going to be a little bit smaller. Like that makes sense. uh, that's kind of what I'm working on right now is figuring out all of those details right now. It looks like the, it's going to be one unified piece. So the two wheels are going to be connected and the bigger one, the bottom one will be about 20 inches in diameter. And the one which I have up there, I think it, or the one which I made is 24 inches in diameter. Yeah. So it's going to be a little bit smaller and the, the, the concern is that the smaller wheel has to be big enough to comfortably hold 26 totems or 26 different symbols of planets because there are two sets of 13 um, being sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Chiron, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and then the north and south node, that's 13. And so we want to have two where you put up your natal chart or your unique alignment. And then you also have up where all of the planets are in real time. That's and also doing, how many numbers that are in the English language and how many digits you have in your both hands altogether. Uh, the 26? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and thirteen is very big within within the, the Mayan the Mayan calendar. My favorite thing right. about about the Mayan calendar is the correspondence between the thirteen moons and the thirteen joints in the body. 
And so I love that sort of stuff. That spoke so deeply to me. And there's 13 primary joints in the body. Um, but, but to be able to have a wheel or a disc, which is big enough that you can put those 26, uh, uh, I'm calling them totems, of those different planets, it, it has to be, there's got to be enough square footage. Like you can't squeeze them all into a really small spot. So I'm like, what's is, what's the smallest, what's the smallest amount of space, which is big enough where they could all fit. And so that was kind of like where, where I had to eventually get to the 20 inch because the larger disc is in the phi ratio or the golden ratio with the smaller disc. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's like dictating the size. And so we're going to cut it out and then uh, or engrave it into each one. And this is all part of um, part of this this uh, program or workshop where I where I teach both the the lunar calendar tracking system, which I follow in notebooks. And then understanding what's happening in the heavens, also with the sky, with the starboard, it's a whole it's a whole system of being able to practically disentangle your life from matrix timelines and consciousness. Because when you go through life, just kind of like what you were saying, like I'm. Uh, you were being more extreme or more specific about technology, but you're saying like my, my, everything I do is based around the computer. And, and if I'm tired, uh, when we live our lives, like just completely based upon these artificial systems and we don't realize what they're really based upon, we are planning for the future in that system. Like that's literally what's happening. And so that's another one of these ways which the system continues to propagate. And I'm calling the I'm calling the program uh, or the workshop. There's no such thing as Monday <laughs> because there isn't. It's all just an idea. It's all just a and overlay. More people, but more people die on Monday than any of the other days exception of Friday and Saturday because it's the weekend. That's when people get drunk and kill each other. Uh, another made-up idea which has real-world consequences. But if you are so consciously committed to what Monday represents, which is the dread of having to do something you hate to do, well, then it statistically is measurable that more people just kind of, that's the day they give up. That's the day they, they transfer over. Um and it's all just made up because it's it's not real. And that's kind of like I'm being silly when I say that, but it's a good demonstration of like this is literally why you don't want – why you want to disconnect. It's got real-world consequences, but it's all just a bunch of BS. But you still need to go and interact with people, and that's what the system's about. And so that's what that's – what, um, that's what I'm making the starboard for so that that comes along with the workshop. And people can get that independently, but, but it's mostly to be used in concert with all of the other 
techniques. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to getting one of those for myself. A little the starboard. First, the first workshop, it's not little, it's 20 inches in diameter. That's the problem. So I wish it was little. Uh, that's, a, that's a size. Well, yours is the size of, like, in my mind, with imagination. You know, it's been a while since I've seen it in person, but yours is like the size of a truck tire. It's huge. It's very big. Yeah, it's big. It's very big. That's 24 inches. So 20 inches is smaller, but it's still definitely big. Um, the first workshop I'm going to do is at, uh, it's called MycoFest, M-Y-C-O-F-E-S-T. Um, and that's, that's an event which is put on by William Padilla Brown, if you're familiar with him in the, in the mushroom world. But that's when I'm going to first introduce it. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, we definitely ought to put all the necessary links to that in the description. Folks who are local to the Pennsylvania area, right? It's going to be in Pennsylvania, or is it going to be down in Maryland? It's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, right on. So MycoFest, we'll put the links to that for people. Maybe they ought to go and see when that is and, and how they're going to make their arrangements to get there, but very cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely um, excited for that. So that was, uh, but that answers like a lot of those questions which we're talking about earlier, like you know, understanding where the moon is, mm. where you are in the cycle. Even if you can see it or not, you begin to see the mechanics of of the system just purely for the benefit of being able to take your mind out of these arbitrary systems on the way time is unfolding and putting it into something which is uh, objectively true. Right. Objectively true as defined by you can see it with your eyes. You don't have to learn about it in a book. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to explain before is the mechanical that is, I mean, I've always liked to tinker around with things and make little things. I'm pretty visual and I like to visualize things. You know, martial arts is very visual for me. I like to see what I'm doing in my mind before I go and, and you know, practice those techniques. And visualization is, is incredibly powerful. But yeah, I think that's kind of where I feel a little bit of a disconnect when it comes to the whole world of astronomy and astrology it just it's hard to feels like there's there hasn't been uh, a tangible medium to understand it through so yeah i'm yeah, excited to yeah 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 without a doubt that's what this does it, it makes it tangible and like okay okay now i can kind of and you can verify it you can go out and look and be like, well, okay, it's the mean where, where it says it should be. Done. Well, that's awesome, Mike. Definitely, like I said, mail me all the links for that or whatever's easiest, text them to me. And I'll put that Airbnb link in the episode description as well so people can come down and check out Known Countryside where we're currently residing. Yeah, like we can go and set up other things.
well as we know, Governor Joe Crunchy died in itself, it's a wonderful treat, too. Right on. Well, cool. All right, brother. Thank you, folks, for tuning in.